Have you seen this? If you are a fan of Chinatown and decades late sequels like Independence Day Resurgence, Blues Brothers 2000, and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, have we got a treat for you. Welcome to Have You Seen This? The world's only podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten media. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. That's good. I like it. All right, good. Have we got a turd for you? <laughs> a turd um, sandwich. Everyone, uh, when you're a, a detective in LA, everything's a turd sandwich and you got to take a bite. <laughs> you know what Chinatown <laughs> needed? What? Really obvious narration. Yeah, like the the Blade Runner narration, I think, uh is owed an apology to once once you see in context the, the two Jakes narration. The two Jakes. More like the two jerks. Right. That's that's us right now. Yeah, the, we're the talking jerks about for watching the, this and talking about it. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, and and you know, speaking of, of jerks. I, I owe Wet Hot American Summer an apology because this is the worst movie that I've seen for this podcast. <laughs> well, um, speaking of Wet Hot American Summer, um, really quick mm-hmm. before we uh, polish this turd. Um, as uh, our loyal listeners know, um, we our last episode was uh, extremely contentious. Um, although I think the last episode that dropped was uh, Fatal Beauty with uh, Jacques from Seeking Derangements, which was delightful. Oh, even more contentious. Um, well, we had a good time discussing Fatal Beauty, because that movie is mm-hmm. fucking wild. a good time watching it. Well, yeah. you know, you, you have to get your joy where you can with when uh, you make this show. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we kind of cursed ourselves, <laughs> I guess. But um, the thing about Wet Hot American Summer is that, uh, you know, when you have an argument with someone about, like, you know, some, like, content- you're con- some contention about taste or whatnot, or, you know, maybe mm-hmm. you're in a political argument, and there's always that little bit of self-doubt in your mind where you're like, wow, maybe I am wrong. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe this movie actually does suck. And then when I posted that uh, we were going to cover it and, you know, wait... Um, here comes the episode. Uh, by the way, Tim and I really like argued over this one. I got a ton of replies from people that are like, "What? Like that movie's great. I love that movie." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have friends who cheer me up when I'm, you know, wrong too. But <laughs> well, uh, did you see the comment we got on our Patreon? No. <laughs> go no. In fact, uh, let's do this in real time. Why, go go to the post on our Patreon page and take a look at the comments. Oh, cripes. Okay. Well, first, I gotta log out of my Patreon alt. Oh, for A all lot your of this uh, money goes to. Well, I don't pornography. Want to get into? It, it's pornography. Not technically, pornography. It is. It's a pornography shop. You're funding pornography. <laughs> Look, <it's>... <laughs> 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 oh, 
Okay. <laughs> it's, it was just a two-word review. Yes. <laughs> well, um, anyway, uh, you all can go look at the post if you're curious, but um, I, I am currently designing Tim Sucks t-shirts, which will be going on Redbubble uh, very shortly, so look for the link. This, this is... This is what, you know, Patreon is all about. It's that direct connection with the fans. Exactly. And we appreciate all of you and uh, your uh, your comments, uh, your replies. Um, so please continue to provide that because uh, I did get a good laugh out of it. But um, right. So yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, having <laughs> so having concluded that business. Um, yeah, on to new business. Yeah, and uh, speaking of the two Jakes uh, from you know, 19... Yeah, speaking of things that really suck. Yeah, and I uh, this episode I don't think will be contentious because I think uh, Tim and I are of one mind about this yeah, picture. We, we aren't going to have Robert Evans on to defend it. <laughs> well, that motherfucker's dead, so <clears throat> fuck him. Yeah, well, what do you say, Bob? Uh, n- nothing? Yeah, no, couldn't no even fucking well. show up. Like... Yeah. Just fucking typical, but um, Lazy. when I mentioned on our uh, Twitter account that I was going to view and speak about the two Jakes, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I said this in a negative way, <laughs> let's say, and uh, I apologize to uh, this person if you are indeed a listener. I hope that I don't hurt your feelings in this episode, but their response was, um, "What? Is, wait, what is it about that movie that's bad?" Uh, well, strap in. <laughs> yeah, where to start? Um, so, uh, we we really appreciate you, the listeners, for um, speaking to us, those of us who uh, crush your dreams and uh, kick sand in your face. Um, thank you. But um, this was a kind of a cursed project from the beginning, Um of yeah, course, kicked around for a while. Yeah. Do we even need to explain Chinatown? I I I think our listeners at least have a passing familiarity with Chinatown. <laughs> I think it, so. It was directed by a pederast. Right. Um. And interestingly, um, Polanski. But that's not the great thing about it. <laughs> well, I learned a couple of interesting things about um Chinatown, which I actually didn't know. Um, uh, when I uh viewed it again a few days ago and of course it uh it holds up who knew um good good i remember i'm glad i was sitting there i finished it at like 1 a.m and i've seen it a few times and you know there's always the question like uh hey will it still hold up and you know so it was at 1 a.m i was sitting there in the living room like just quietly devastated because it doesn't matter how many times you see it it's just so perfectly structured and the tragedy of it is so profound that it hits you every single time, no matter how much you've seen it. And, like, everything about it is so good. Interestingly, Polanski seemingly treated Chinatown as kind of a work-for-hire project. Um, like, he came yeah, he in... He had some stuff going on in his life at the time, though, that <laughs> informed the work. Well, I believe that it was in um, <clears throat> 77 that he was obliged to flee the country. Um, so mm-hmm. I assume that maybe around the time of Chinatown, he was just like super busy, like, um, procuring and grooming teenage girls, um, just packing. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. you know, he was really, you know, he, w- he was a busy guy. And so maybe that was mm-hmm. why he treated Chinatown kind of like a work for hire thing. But what I didn't know is that he and 
Robert Town, the screenwriter of Chinatown and The Two Jakes, um, they had disagreed about the ending. Um, Town wanted kind of a more, uh, you know, optimistic ending where uh, Evelyn Mulray... Yeah, kind of a, a rote ending. Yeah, where, like, Evelyn Mulray was not killed at the end. And mm-hmm. Polanski argued very strenuously for the downer ending that you get in the version that came out, which I think makes it, like, much more memorable and devastating. So... Yeah, as I recall, like, his point was that, you know, you know, beautiful women die in, you know, Hollywood all the time. Look what happened to Sharon. <laughs> right. So that was interesting to learn, and it maybe um, clarified so, a yeah, little... Like that, that, that... The first domino is, you know, singer-songwriter Charles Manson not being able to meet the Beach Boys. And, you know, the big domino is Chinatown. (laughs) Someone make that meme. Uh, I recommend imageflip.com if you don't have easy access to photo editing software. But um, the point I was getting at is that um, it may be clarified a little bit for me because you know if you watch a movie like and you know admittedly this is a failing of myself you watch a movie like chinatown and then and you get this impression especially a screenwriter like town who had just had like a trifecta of incredibly well-regarded films uh i think that it went uh last detail shampoo and chinatown and he received oscar nominations like three years in a row for those movies they're just like you know classics mm-hmm. um but then you watch the two jakes and you're like oh like you know even uh very great artists have feet of clay <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh you know so that uh, you know that's that um now this was initially conceived as uh the second installment of a trilogy um, it was all about L.A. and the development of L.A. Um, Chinatown is obviously about water. Um, the Two Jakes, you could argue, is about, um, I guess, uh, fire, uh, energy. Um, gas? Yeah, earth, wind, and fire. It's, it, it's all in there. It's a big bag of gas. And then the <laughs> final installment was supposed to take place in, um, I've heard different things, um, the 50s or the late 60s, um, and was supposed to be uh, about air and no-fault divorce, and it was going to be called uh, Giddies versus Giddies. Um, Now, I know that... um, Yeah, that would have been 68. Yeah, and I know that a kind of a boring uh, plot point in uh, Two Jakes is... is, uh, Jake Giddy's, um fiance uh, leaving him near the end of the movie, and it's just like, so what? Like, why should we care? We've never seen these two interact apart from a phone conversation. Um, I don't know. Maybe they made up, and then that leads that would have led to Giddy's versus Giddy's, but it never happened because Two Jakes was kind of a disaster. It did not recoup its money at the box office, um, and. Just watching it, it is currently available on HBO Max, along with Chinatown. Um, Obviously, we recommend Chinatown. (laughs) If you don't know that it's really good, you should watch it. Um, If ever you should watch half of a double feature, this would be it. Right. The Two Jakes is on... um, uh... (laughs) Damn, you're fast. (laughs) 
You're Tim, welcome. Tim just sent me the meme that we just described. So nice. Um, but I'll I'll post it with the uh, with the show notes. Yeah. Um, Chinatown and Two Jakes are both streaming on HBO Max currently. We can heartily recommend one and not the other. Um, now we can probably get more into the you know kind of the agonizing production of this movie. We can certainly talk about the movie itself. Um, one thing that I want to ask right off the bat is. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know if I am committing heresy by even asking this question, but when I started this movie, I was like, why why does this look like shit? It looks like a fucking TV show. It looks like a prestige TV show that from the two thousands that like nobody watched. Oh yeah, we haven't discussed Wild Palms. Ooh, perhaps we should. No, we haven't. Um, no. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. Um, <clears throat> if you want to yeah, hear about. The, uh... If you want to hear about Wild Palms, leave us a comment or hit us up at info at heavyseen.us. <laughs> yeah, it was sort of the uh, Twin Peaks also ran of a, of a sort. Speaking of things that have uh, lost their way and derailed, we were talking about the two Jakes. Right, because the question I posed was, and, uh, and you know, the reason that I say, like, is this heresy to ask this question is because mm-hmm. it was fucking shot by Vilmos Sigmund, like who is generally regarded as a very fine cinematographer, but mm. there's just, it, 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 it's kind of emblematic of the wrongness of this movie. Like it just feels wrong. Like the tone is wrong. The look is wrong. And that's in spite of a lot of money having been spent to make it period accurate. And for the, you know, the, the production design is, is, is fine. But just the way it's shot and like a lot of like Nicholson, because Nicholson did end up directing the film himself. Um, yeah. In the same way that like, you know, when, when all the generals have been shot, you know, like the, you know, the private first class, you're in charge now. Like, right. All right. And we can get into that. We, and we know you aren't leaving the picture, so you, you, you can get to direct it now. Yeah. And it's not like, um, and it isn't as though Nicholson hadn't directed before. He had done uh, Drive, he said, in 1971 and Going South in 1978. Like, you know, neither being exactly gangbusters at the box office, but, you know, they have their adherence. Um, He's kind of the bag holder director at this point. Right. And um, so I don't want to just be like, oh, he sucks, he's shit. But, like, I just really question a lot of his, like, shot choices like, it just looks like a fucking television show to me. Am I crazy? Uh, I couldn't really tell you because I tuned out of this TV show in the same way that I did with Wild Palms. Like, I'm I'm watching it, but nothing is impacting me. Um, right, I'm and if you guys it, are... I'm seeing things happen. Right, and if you guys are hoping that we will illuminate the plot somewhat, like... That's probably not going to happen. I'm fucking with that plot. Yeah. It was so... F- no, I, like, I was like, I don't understand why any of this is happening. But I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, uh, that, was, that was all I was saying. It's, it's, it is so... Uh, just so poorly paced, and the way that information is doled out, I know that it is... Um, you know, they're supposed, there are supposed to be some things that, you know, a movie like this, a noir movie would, you know, play, you know, close to the vest... But there is still an artistry to laying out these clues to keep the audience engaged, and it just doesn't have that. It is 
you know, like Jen's saying, it's it's just so dumbly executed that it 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 fails to hold one's interest. I mean, to have this as a follow up to Wet Hot American Summer, like I almost feel bad for how much I I lambasted that movie because this is just such a slog. It is. It's ridiculously overlong. Um, and it's... Yeah, pacing is bad, shots are bad, performances, you know, it, the story, the script. Do you remember, um, do you remember, uh, that mm. show on AMC called Remember When? It was about, like, an old-timey radio station or some shit. Sorry, I do not. That's what it feels like, is, like, I am watching, like, some really middling cable shit, like, period cable show from the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, would, middling is a good word. Yeah, and I would really like to know, I mean, people can tell me if I'm crazy or not. Go, if you have HBO Max, go and, you know, don't, for God's sake, don't watch it. But um, <laughs> take a look at maybe like the first 10 or 20 minutes. Yeah, fast forward like five minutes in, stick around for another five, and then be like, what? There was a, um, a DVD and later a Blu-ray, I want to say like in the mid-2000s, which um, I believe Nicholson took part in himself and which apparently he said that he made a couple of tweaks to the movie but you know it's the proverbial turd and you're standing there with a bottle yeah, yeah. of shoe polish and a rag like what the fuck do i do with this um he says he took if out only some he had narration. Cut out about 30 minutes of it what he says he took out some narration and I was like, well, why good, did you leave any of it in? Because the narration is awful. Yeah. And um, he also says, oh, there were too many music cues. Um, also, like, speaking, you know, uh, Tim, as you said, like, wow, like, following Wet Hot American Summer with this, following Jerry Goldsmith's score for Chinatown with whatever the fuck mm-hmm. Van Dyke Parks thought he was doing with this one, like... I couldn't even tell you. Fuck. Like, I... and. Uh, it occurred to me when I was rewatching Chinatown the other night, like, I was like, God, I love this score. This is maybe, like, one of the best fucking scores of, like, any movie I've ever seen. Like, it's so, mm. it, it is so beautiful. And then in this movie, you literally, like, you know the scene where, like, uh, Madeline Stowe is, like, fucking shit up in his office? Right, yeah. And then there's, like, a couple, I swear, there's, like, a couple of, like, little, like, kind of, like, comedy music stings. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like totally this movie is fucked and yeah. following on the heels of a movie like Chinatown which handles like tonal shifts so well because it's in, in the same movie where like the main character tells like an incredibly crass joke in front of a strange woman mm-hmm. but it's it fits into the tone of the film it's telling you something about uh you know Jake Giddis as a character yeah and in this like it play it all plays like bad comedy well yeah bad something or other um not just that but one of the things that i had a problem with about the the tone of the movie is i think because we've been talking about you know what big shoes chinatown has to fill has for this movie to fill and there's a lot of you know i I, as i guess one would have done at the time it being you know 1948 maybe uh if 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 people were poor they'd you know uh pat out their shoe leather with you know uh, sheets of newspaper the um the movie kind of does the same thing where it's, it's you know papering it, it's it's a nest with pieces of of chinatown to fill itself up because it is 
you know, ultimately, you know, on its own, kind of an empty vessel. It, it is trading in a lot of the nostalgia of the original Chinatown in, in that it's, it's invoking a lot of the same characters. So when it's left to stand on its own, there, there just is so little there and little of interest as well. Right, and I also feel like, I mean, you know, I have I had seen most of the movie before, but all I remembered was like, wow, this really sucks compared to Chinatown. But I yeah, feel yeah, like, you, you know, and it, one example of like how kind of sloppy this movie was is how easy it is to figure out just who Meg Tilly's character is supposed to be. Right, yeah. Speaking of, you know, trading on familiar characters, th- this movie is basically like fan service before we had a name for it. <laughs> it's, because... it's, the, it's like somebody posted like a bloated, like multi-chapter Chinatown fan fiction to like fanfiction.net yeah. or something or like an archive of our own. It was like, oh, like Jeez, I, yeah. I continued the story of Chinatown. Like, you know, leave kudos and uh, comment, please. Nobody ever comments it on does, my fix. <laughs> yeah, it does really sound like that. Not only because you know, because it takes place what twenty years later. Um, no, it's like ten, because I think uh, Chinatown okay, was set like thirty-seven or thirty-eight. Oh, okay, yeah, by mistake. Can't do math. Um, it doesn't matter. Don't but yeah, don't beat it, yourself up. But about yeah, it, it is. <laughs> right. Hey, if they can release the two Jakes in theaters, I can be off by a decade. Um, so the. Uh, yeah, like like what you're saying about the the fanfic tone of it is that now you know we reconnect with you know Jake Giddies, but like he's all successful and he's you know this you know big uh, um, you know private investigator and they got you know like this nice office and everything and it it has that same sort of fanfic wish fulfillment fulfillment sort of you know now we at the top kind of swagger, right. which isn't fun or interesting you know for like a character to like you know be patting themselves on the back and be like oh and then everything went well for me because i was so good at my job then they gave me the key to the city and um <laughs> i don't know madeline stowe blew me you know? <laughs> oh god i i pity yeah. madeline stowe in this role and it was so funny because when you like you texted me saying like yeah like her sex scene is really bad and then that like I was while I was watching it, and then that came up, and I was like, "Oh my god! Oh Jesus fucking Christ!" <laughs> but um, no, but um, we'll get to that too, cause fuck. But um, yeah. a point. But th- yeah, we're talking about this, you know, borrowing a lot of its gravitas from the the previous movie and and sounding well, like fanfic. I specifically wanted to make a point about you know what you mentioned about like oh you know like Jake Gittes is doing really well, like he's got like a nice office. But the thing was is. My impression of him in Chinatown is that he was already doing pretty well as a private investigator. Or or either way, it it's not important. Like maybe we could make that part of it. Well, I feel like um, you know, the fact that uh that Giddies is like successful in the original movie is like I think it's important to his character because like he is a he kind of makes his money off of human misery, but, mm-hmm. you know, he still, he has these lines that he won't cross, like, and they mention it also in Two Jakes, like, I won't extort people. It's like, yeah, like, I'll, you know, I'll ruin marriages and make money off that, but it's like, I'm not gonna, like, you know, like, yeah, get like people I'm, over you know, a barrel not... for money, and 
I think that um, him being like kind of like materially successful from it, like says a lot about his character. And, you know, it's maybe emblematic of L.A. because like certainly L.A. is a town where people will do all kinds of like repulsive things to be able to have nice suits and, you know, stuff like that. Um, And yeah, like I get that it's not uh, you're right. It's like not too interesting that you know, oh, 10 years later, and, you know, Jake's still doing gangbusters, especially, like, in light of the tragedy of Chinatown, because... Yeah, he really, <clears throat> he really bounced back from that thing where, you know, the woman he loved getting shot in the head in front of him. God, and then, like, her daughter being taken away by her, like, incestuous by rapist, her rapist, like, father. fucking yeah. evil father-slash-grandfather. Like... But hey, it's, yeah, it's post-war, boom. We're no, gonna have Tim. some insufferable children off of this. No, Tim, it's Chinatown. Oh, okay. <laughs> but um, no, but, but like what I'm getting at is that, um, yeah, like he's a successful detective, but he's also kind of a I don't want to say well, you know, he's a private dick, but he's also kind of a dick. No, but like not even so much of that. Like he is a man who has compassion, but Gideus is an interesting character because he you know he does you know he yeah he's in it for the money but he also has like some compassion like you know he um obviously gets very involved in the 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 mulray case because and you know he's drawn to evelyn for a lot of the right reasons but there's also that thing about him and i guess this is his tragic flaw the guy you can't leave well enough alone Mm -hmm. like he sets these incredibly tragic events into motion just by like being the guy who's like, no, I have to know what's going on. Like I have to know. And it's almost not even like, um, you know, not that it, that he doesn't have like this strong morality, which is like, Oh no, I can't let these rich people get away from it. But you know, you, you kind of feel like even if he didn't have that drive to, kind of expose like what these rich assholes are doing it's like no he just has to know and he's a guy who can't stop asking questions and he often asks questions at like really awkward moments like he presses and he's not afraid to press people like he's kind of a little you know he's got like a a kind of teflon skin this isn't a guy who gets necessarily like that embarrassed from people pushing back on him which makes him a good private eye but also makes him like a little bit likely to, you know, kind of fly headlong in a disaster and not even see it coming. And he does have, like, these big blind spots where he doesn't put, like, two and two together and realize, like, what the fuck is going on. Um, I don't get that out of, like, the two Jakes. Like, and... Yeah, he he's kind of written as, like, a Boy Scout and about as interesting. Yeah, like, he's very, it's like, oh, no, he's, like, an upright and moral guy. Plus, like, the whole, like, you know, kind of uh, thematic and political tone in the movie is just so jarring coming after the movie that preceded it, where it's like, oh, well, no, actually, like, this real estate developer is, like, just this insanely tragic figure, and he just wanted his young wife to be taken care of. And it's like, is this the same, even the same fucking universe as Chinatown. It just well, doesn't no. ring true. Yeah, to give it credit, that's not an ending I would have guessed. <laughs> yeah. And, um, shit, there was another point. Oh, well, um, 
And the other thing that's really important to bring up is that this is like late Nicholson, like just post, um, post Batman Nicholson. And mm-hmm. not to take anything away from his performance in Batman, which is a highlight of the film. And it's a fucking comic book movie. It's like, go nuts. Fuck it. Like, yeah. be the Joker. But th- when I started this film, I was like, you know, this really feels like the the caricature of Jack Nicholson that, like, every shitty stand-up did an impression of. And, he, and it's very mean of me to say, but he looks like dog shit. <laughs> like... <laughs> And, okay, fine. Like, it's ten years later, and Mm -hmm. I know that there was a deliberate effort to um, kind of be like, oh, well, this is a man who's kind of, like, calcified into his role as, like, a successful private detective. So, you know, he's a little softer. I thought you were talking about Jack Nicholson. Well, hey, you know, six of one, right? Um, Right. So you kind of, you get this, like, kind of, uh, like, like, wealthy, like, Trump, bodied guy who is also like an insane like badass who gets the better of a man half his age and makes him suck on a gun barrel in front of like 25 people yeah the, again the sort of fanfic um thread throughout this movie yeah and you know it's a big part of chinatown that Giddis gets his shit rocked on a regular basis i mean like this this weird this weird little dwarf yeah, the like gets the better the of nose. him. Yeah. 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 And it's like this giant symbol to his like, uh, you know, his, his kind of like obliviousness, you know, that he's going to wear in his fucking face for like half the movie. It's like, this is not, I mean, he's smart, but he's not smart. Yeah. And that's, that's the point that I'm making is that in the, you know, in the first movie, he is a flawed character and he's interesting but you like the character, but the sequel, as we've seen in you know, other sequels and in fanfic, is that um, they're conflating the audience's love for the character with like the world's love for the character. That's a really good like, way of putting oh, it. You, yeah, it's like, oh, you all love Jake Giddy, so he's just gonna you know come through and be this you know suave, cool, successful guy, and he's just gonna kind of you know steamroll over everyone. It's you know. It's Daisy Ridley in the um, uh, Star Wars prequels. It's like, oh, I'm basically perfect. I don't need to learn anything. I'm the best private detective that LA's ever seen. Yeah, like, I I beat the asses of guys half my age. I get pussy half my age. Like, yeah. Yeah. And and speaking of, you know, because I mentioned Which, fanfic uh, earlier. Like, I should, I should, um, I'm sorry to cut you off, Tim, but I should make the caveat. Like, that is... Extremely true of Jack Nicholson, IRL. Um, yeah. His uh, the women he was with got younger and younger as he got older, and I d- actually didn't know this because I do remember him when he was dating Laura Flynn Boyle, who was about you know close to thirty years younger than he was. Um, mm-hmm. Did you know that he dated Paz de la Huerta? Wow! Right. <laughs> hmm. And I think he was pushing 70 at the time i <laughs> i don't know what to say to that like actually i mean if interest- if i was 70 i'd try to date Paz de la huerta as well i don't know well you I mean, you do like I'd, uh disastrous women so yeah i mean i'd i'd sleep with a, a knife under my pillow but... <laughs> she seems fun i hope she's right, doing yeah. okay but um yeah like so interesting 
interesting factoid um, for great performance uh, in Enter the Void. I gotta say, Jack Nicholson was born April twenty second, nineteen thirty seven. Pastel Huerta was born September third, nineteen eighty four. How many generations is that? Uh, a lot, and yeah, like yeah, like it, the Jack Nicholson, like part of his uh, icon status is that he is a pussy getting maniac. He's up there with guys like Ric Flair for, like, is it possible for a guy to get too much pussy? Like, maybe. But, um, yeah, it, it in spite of that, it still just sets a... It leaves a bad taste in your mouth in, <laughs> in the two mm-hmm. Jakes. Like, I and I, I don't know why we needed an insert shot of him grabbing Madeline Stowe's ass under her panties. Like, I was like, okay, like... And I'm not opposed to sex scenes in movies. Because Madeline Stowe isn't going to say no. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it just seems there's just something fucked about it. And I, again, like, I need to be clear. Like, I'm not opposed to, like, even really explicit sex scenes in movies. We talked about Antichrist, which we both loved, which has, like, full penetrative sex. So it's like, it's not like we have a problem Mm -hmm. with sex shit. It's just that in this case, it's It's like... It's when it's done so dispassionately and clumsily. It's so gross. It's just like, why, it, dude? It has, like, I don't know. It, it's like, uh, Daddy can't fuck today. Why don't you two just, like, make out and I'll watch? It does have that feel in that scene, because, like, there's the part where, like, he's like, oh, okay, like, you know, get on your knees, stick your ass in the air, and don't do anything until I tell you. And it really does feel like, because, you know, it like, he is through this entire movie, you know, Jack Nicholson is kind of, like, slack-jawed and sweating, you know, because he's not yep. a, you know, he was born in 1937. He's not a young guy anymore. And it really does have oh, that feel man. of like, you know, like, ooh, do you want me to get on top? And he's like, no, just you, uh, yeah, just, uh, just like play with yourself or something. And Right, yeah. <laughs> I'll, uh, okay. Uh, let me, uh, 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 give me that, that cup of water. I need, Daddy needs his pills. Yeah, that 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 almost felt like an outtake. It felt so genuine. <laughs> do uh, uh, Mr. Nicholson, do we need to take a break? Nah, I'm. Uh, I just, whew, yeah, <laughs> I'm good. I'm a star. I'm a star. I'm a star. I'm a star. <laughs> Fortunately, um, Madeline still went on to better things. Um. <laughs> <laughs> to, uh, yeah. 12 monkeys and all that but um good for her yeah uh yeah so and also i i gotta add too, madeline stowe being you know game for so much of this movie the only one doing a period accurate accent as well you're right um the, she's the only one talking like it's the fucking 40s yeah, and I I I do feel like her there's something like a little bit gawky and cartoonish about her performance, which I can't even necessarily blame her for cuz I can't imagine like how mm-hmm. weird it must have been on the set. And this was a troubled production. Um it, like and apparently Nicholson worked very earnestly at it because like he does have you know, obvious for obvious reasons has an affection for this material like uh the uh god what they now call intellectual property (laughs) (laughs) i guess they were hoping to make a franchise um of sorts Mm. um the chinatown verse yeah at least they didn't make it a a quote-unquote quadrilogy (laughs) 
<laughs> oh yeah, that reminds me. We need to push the uh, two Jakes uh, NFT. Oh god, <laughs> Ch- Chinatown coin. <laughs> Fucking kill me. <laughs> um, right. So, um, you know, as and as like all like big budget Hollywood productions are like a crass cash grab to some degree. I do feel like he went into this with some, like. Uh, you know, good faith, like earnestness, you know, he wanted it to be period accurate. He took that very seriously. I still feel like there's a certain amount of ego that is inevitably going to get in the way because it's fucking Jack Nicholson. And he's, he's been an icon for like a couple of decades at this point. Yeah. It's kind of like, I'm going to do whatever and you're going to love it. You know, it's, I'm JJ Giddies again. Yeah. And well, he is, um, it's very weird to compare the Nicholson of the two Jakes to the Nicholson of, of Chinatown or, you know, the Nicholson of five easy pieces or, you know, choose any of the thoughtful films that he made in the seventies, mm. even like the Nicholson of a decade before the shining, which is a very, um, I don't want to say like an over the top performance because it's not that it's, um, uh, it's an, uns- it's a performance which is so unsettling and it could have been truly cartoonish, but, it works really well. But I feel like in the two Jakes, he's just kind of being like, hey, I'm Jack Nicholson, you know? Yeah, there's a sort of, uh, you know, like I said, the sort of unearned swagger about just the, the character and the proceedings. Yeah, which... That is It's just a turnoff. It's just like, I'm not here to watch you be, like, you know, self-satisfied. Yeah, like, oh, like, great, a movie about the coolest fucking guy. Like yeah, played by Jack Nicholson. Yeah, it's like I cast myself. Yeah, it's like nobody. Like okay, like and the thing is, like I understand like what fan fiction provides. You know, it is often like wish fulfillment. Escapist fantasy. Yeah, yeah. it's it's uh, it's wish fulfillment for for the writer. It's you know you're working out your head canon, blah blah blah. Like and like maybe, um. You know, I don't think there's anything, like, necessarily wrong with thinking, like, gosh, you know, like, I really hope that, you know, at least Catherine Mulray was able to live an okay life. Um, But Mm -hmm. do we want to put it on screen? Yeah, it's that, um, what, was it Kaprinsky's Triangle? It's that thing that I mentioned in uh, Misunderstanding Comics, available for sale at misunderstandingcomics.com, about filling in more uh, increasingly minor details on a story without actually expanding any of it. We're still treading in the same waters as established in the initial Chinatown. Right. It's like, hey, you know, uh, Catherine Mulray, you remember her, right? Hey, the um, uh, Chinese butler uh, played by uh, James Hong. James Hong. You like him, right? Yeah. It's like, we're just going to, we're just going to play the hits <clears throat> of, uh, of Chinatown and we're going to, lay this incredibly obtuse story over it as an excuse to to interact with these characters again uh briefly touching on james hong i did find it funny and uh, like i understand that um jake will naturally know a little bit of mandarin from his time in chinatown sure um you know because he was a detective there but uh it did make me wonder because you know he and he and con james hong's character seemed to be particularly warm to each other but i was thinking as i was watching their scene like does he does 
Giddy still tell that Chinaman joke? Or did he leave? Did he <laughs> retire that from the repertoire once he became like really friendly with Khan? Like, did Khan like take him aside and be like, "Hey, like, I know it's 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 funny, maybe a little inappropriate, and you know, real talk, it, it became, makes me feel a little weird." It became uh, the the subject of the joke became a Japanese man because it was 1948. <laughs> Who was going to call him out on that? And then uh, that's right. They're and then all in camps. And then Khan was like, "Wait a minute, I gotta get. Uh, I'm gonna get back to fucking my wife real quick, but then I'll be back. Just give me like a, a few minutes. <laughs> Just give me like two or three hours." <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um. Uh. I'm sorry, I'm just thinking of that scene, but, um, which is like, I don't know, it just all feels very rote, and I think you're... Yeah, it's just like, hey, yeah, you like this thing again, huh? It's, you know, it's it's Chinatown, The Force Awakens. Yeah, and as, Episode um, seven. I think it's, um, you know, and people have, you know, correctly decried the tendency of Hollywood today to just kind of hit the same plot points and notes with uh, mostly, like, you know, the kind of thing that nerds love. Like, you know, as you mentioned, Force Awakens, which is like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. like, hey, whatever. We'll go back to Tatooine. You know, we'll, Yeah, here's all that same shit that you like. We'll blow here's up the Death a letter Star from again. Evelyn Mulray. Yeah, here's uh, James oh. Hong again. Oh, my God, that here's letter? A real estate That fucking... Deal. Okay. <laughs> the part. Yeah. I should shit I will actually download a copy of this movie just to pull this bit because I laughed so fucking hard there is a part where uh, Jake Giddes the one Jake uh, the main Jake reads a letter that he had saved from Evelyn Mulray Faye Dunaway's character from Chinatown and uh, Faye mm-hmm. Dunaway came back uh, not on screen smart woman um, she was like you know I'll do uh, I'll do Supergirl but I won't fucking do this shit um, yeah, I mean, I have standards. Yeah. She did come back to do a voiceover. She read this letter. And there's a coda in the letter after she signs off. But she adds a PS and she says, Catherine said you seemed like a very nice man. And Curly concurred. Ha ha. Yep. <laughs> it's like just Faye Dunaway reading ha ha. It's like, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about this movie, to tell you the truth. I, I'm just trying to imagine the scene of, like, when she has, when Evelyn Mulray has some downtime to chill with, like, her inbred daughter <coughs> and the guy who beats his wife to be like, hey, what do y'all, what do you guys think of the Jake Giddies? He's an all right guy, huh? What do you, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's, I think he's a stand-up fella. Yes, I've, I've met him briefly over an afternoon, before, you know, the day that my mom died. He seemed nice. <laughs> I mean, he did slap her around a little, but you know, hey, Curly yeah, well, did that too. Yeah, see, it was just it was in the zeitgeist. Everyone was doing it. You can't call a guy out for hitting a woman in the '30s. That's true. Like in the '30s, like um, you know, that was that was a real mania. Was uh, punching women in the face. <laughs> it's a, a huge fad. Yeah, yeah. I remember reading old gasoline alleys that. <laughs> That's what the story was about. That's why people loved Andy Cap because you just know that he was going to punch that bitch flow in the face. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they 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 took out the parts of, of Blondie where Dagwood would um, hit Blondie with a shoe. Just like but those, yeah. Backhander with one of those giant sandwiches. 
Yeah. Hitting women. It's well, you funny. Know, yeah. <laughs> Just like that episode of IT Crowd. Um, so, so to, to again, invoke Star Wars, somehow Catherine Mulray has returned. Well, um, yeah, she's uh, uh, um, her... Her father, who, uh, who, um, you know, brought because water. there wasn't. Her, her father, who brought water to Los Angeles, um, there was. Water from her other father, yeah. Right, and I believe his name was Sheev Palpatine. <laughs> that was uh, John Huston playing Emperor Palpatine in the original Chinatown. Um, <laughs> which... Yeah, and I don't want to spoil it, but, you know, the third uh, Chinatown movie, you know, she's going to be like, hey, what's your name? She's like, my name's Catherine, Catherine Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like Yoda said. It's just like baby Yoda said. There is another Mulray. And yep. speaking of Mulrays, um, there's a part early on in the movie when, I guess, uh, uh, Giddes is heading to the housing development, which will figure into the plot and he turns on to mulray drive which begs See, the question does this yeah. mean that in this los angeles there's no such thing as mulholland drive uh i think you stumped the panel yeah because okay like hollis mulray uh, so is this like a wandavision multiverse Ugh. thing then? god <laughs> it's like a um this is the variant, uh, Jay Giddies. <laughs> Jeez, is there a is there a universe where he's like in like reasonably good shape where he can like beat up David Keith and shove a gun barrel in his mouth and make him piss himself? <laughs> I, I yeah, there is possibly a world where he can do that and maybe even bother to fuck Madeline Stowe <laughs> instead of just like jerking off onto her girdle. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so yeah there isn't a like a beloved or, or pivotal um character from the first movie that the second one won't just like trot out to be like huh huh it's it's all tied together <sighs> it's all that shit that you pigs like i'm gonna like get to you know wallow in and it is like okay like robert town did write this so uh he deserves quite a bit of the blame um, oh yeah, he deserves most, if not all. But just like it, and I will say this: you know, he de he deserves blame just for writing lines like "How about that?" Two Jakes. <laughs> <laughs> it's right at the beginning of the fucking movie. <laughs> like, let's just get this out of the way, so so the the audience isn't confused. It would be like if uh, at the like. While Luke was on Tatooine, he, tur he turned to the camera and said, I'm just so sick of all these Star Wars. Right, yeah. It's like the Empire has struck back. <laughs> Holy shit, there's a Jedi in here. This implies that there has been some kind of a return of the Jedi. <laughs> um, and I will say this. Oh, oh I, another choice line. You might think you know what's going on around here, but you don't. Oh, Damn, mm. so true, bro. Yeah, I didn't know that you can just come out and say it. Or, um, but I'm not, I'm not the screenwriter of Chinatown. Or a line that they they gave to Madeline Stowe, which is, "I always knew that Kitty was a perverted little snat." Mm. And it's like, I a pervert, a perverted little what? Like, did you mean snatch? 
Uh, maybe maybe she's doing her forties accent. Maybe maybe like maybe in the forties because it was a more a slightly more polite time. Like you couldn't say the whole world snatch. You had yeah. to. Re- oh, it was from a more sophisticated time. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> an elegant weapon, a yeah. woman's snatch. A woman's period. <laughs> <laughs> a woman's girdle. Yeah. A woman's well, I mean, that's... stocking shown in exhaustive detail to the point where you wonder, like, is this like a thing that Nicholson has? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't. Well, I mean, you know, at the time, you know, Marlena Dietrich and Rita Hayworth, they're calling everyone a snat. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm in all their movies. I am sure that Betty Davis and Joan Crawford called each other that. <laughs> I believe it. Um, but yeah, like I was gonna say about Robert Town, like. You know, he he does, uh, you know, we'll put the blame on him for a lot of this, but it it does kind of boggle the mind where you're like, how do you go from Chinatown to this? And then again, like, just kind of like lazily repeating a lot of the same elements of the earlier film. Um, I do wonder, like, what kind of permutations the screenplay did go through because of the troubled production of the movie. And, like, maybe I can you know, talk about that a little bit because this initially was supposed to happen as early as 1976 because Robert Evans had the rights to a Chinatown sequel because, Hey, fuck it. Why not? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but that ended up not happening. And then they tried again. I want to say in like, uh, 19, somewhere between 1983 to 1986. I forget. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, they made Blade Runner and they're like, hey, people like these feature noir movies. <laughs> right. And um, I believe that in the early 80s, Robert Town, Jack Nicholson, and Robert Evans came together. They formed a production com- company between the three of them. And they're like, okay, we'll get no money up front. We'll just take any profits just to get this made, right? And initially, mm-hmm. Robert Town was was chomping at the bit to direct um, he had taken a little bit of an L with uh, Personal Best in 1982, which I think has... Not his personal best? Yeah. Uh, per- more like personal worst, but apparently that movie... Oh, shoot, why didn't I say that? It's so much funnier. Right. Um, I know Fuck. I'm laughing. But um, that movie has grown in reputation since. I admit that I missed it when it was on Criterion Channel. Um, I do kind of want to hunt it down. But anyway, so, you know, he was smarting a little from Personal Best... Um, maybe he wanted a, a W, so, you know, he's like, hey, like, we'll do the Chinatown sequel, and I will direct it. Um, the fly in the ointment, though, was Robert Evans, because, for whatever reason, and a lot of this is laid out in a book which I've recommended on the podcast before, um, Peter Biskin's Easy Riders, Raging Bulls. Um, and I believe in that book, um, he ascribes this decision to booze and cocaine, between the three of them because they said, hey, why don't we get Evans to play the other Jake? It it didn't occur to them that Evans had admitted himself he was a terrible actor. Terrible, terrible, terrible actor. The way that he broke into the business was that he was spotted by uh, Norma Shearer, the very great MGM actress of the, of the 30s and she was like, hey, this kid's really good looking. Like, let's put him on screen. But acting talent didn't really go along with that. Mm-hmm. And um, the way they smoothed this over was, uh, I believe Robert Town was like, okay, like I'll work with him for three weeks before we start shooting. 
And hey, you know, like town, and it has to be said, town was like on board. He was like, no, fuck it. Like we'll put, we'll put Bob in there. I'll work with him. The kid stays in the picture. Exactly. It'll be good. It'll be great. Like I can do this. And then after three weeks of working with me, he's like, I can't do it. It's fucking terrible. Like he, like he's awful. Like we can't make this fucking movie with him in it. (laughs) And, uh, he tried to spare Evans's feelings. Like he didn't, you know, they, I think one of the suggestions was like, let's, um, you know, just shoot a little bit with him and then like fire him. Like, you know, like in the kind of like weasel dick way that these things work a lot of the time in Hollywood, nobody is Mm -hmm. just Frank and open and says like, you're fucking fired. Um, so town didn't want to tell Evans, like you suck. We can't have you on this picture. And Nicholson was pissed off. Because he's, uh, I think it came down to like, you know, if you, if you bounce him out, like, you know, I walk, like, I don't, you know, I'm not going to do it for our original de- deal. And town was like, fine, fuck all y'all. Um, and, oh, I forgot to mention like one of the last straws with, uh, with Evans was that, uh, you know, I think in anticipation of him appearing on screen, once again, he had gone to see Alan Delon's plastic surgeon and was like, give me the works, and came back, like, just looking fucked up. And he didn't want to get a period haircut for the film. And when he did finally get a period-accurate haircut, it was like, oh, shit, he has got scars from cosmetic surgery that will show on camera. That's what happens when he cast Robert Evans. Right. So that second attempt at the two Jakes did not come off and there were um it's all like and i won't bore all of you with the details you can get it and easy riders raging bulls you could probably get evans's side of it and his memoir um i'll link a couple of interviews with uh nicholson and uh town but town was out as director and when this eventually did get I'm made sure he was relieved yeah uh, nicholson was like fuck it i'll direct it myself and that is what led us to the two Jakes that you can now view on HBO Max streaming, but don't. Um, so, yeah. why would you? Who's who knows if what if if they had let Town direct if they hadn't made this weird decision to be like, yeah, we'll put you know we'll put Bob in it. Like, what could go wrong and derail that attempt at production? Who knows? Maybe it would have been okay because uh, you know Town has directed and he's done all right with it. You know, like people there are people who like personal best. Like he did. Um, one of the two Steve Prefontaine movies that came out in 1998 um, that was, uh, I believe he did Without Limits, which is well regarded. So I don't know how Two Jakes would have come out if he'd helmed it. I don't know if he would have reined in Nicholson a little bit, but how can you rein yeah, in could... Jack Nicholson? He's funding it. He's starring in it. He's going to be a shot caller on it. So who knows? Maybe it was doomed from the start. Yeah, and you gotta admire their tenacity that, like, they this picture will get made no matter how many millions of dollars it costs us. Right. Because there's a point, too, where you're like, why do you not just walk away from this debacle? Just, you think you're leaving money on the table? You're taking a chance? I don't know. There have been enough opportunities for them to try to make something of it, and each one ends up worse than when they started until they finally released the movie, and we got what we got, and it's terrible. <laughs> I don't know if it was like, I mean, it's tempting to say sunk cost fallacy, but maybe it's just like, um, you know, the idea of this Los Angeles trilogy is like a tantalizing one. Mm -hmm. 
hey, like, it's it's pretty rare that a sequel can outdo the original, but it can be done. I mean, you know, Godfather 2. Um, mm. But this is not Godfather 2. It's not even God... I, I don't know. Is it more like Godfather 3? I've never seen Godfather 3. Uh, well, I think that you made the point that not only is it a poor follow-up to Chinatown, but it is just a poor noir film in general. And I think that's really the thing that I want to latch on to because not only does it like tread in so many familiar uh, tropes from the original, like it doesn't bring anything new to it. It follows more or less the same, uh, the same beats of the original. It has, you know, the same story of, you know, infidelity. It has, um, you, uh, business partners you know, at odds mm-hmm. with each other it has um you know giddy's being uh injured at a certain point in the movie it's it all you know, and again like the mulray connection again it all feels like we're just repeating the same movie it isn't expanding on anything it's just giving us you know, the, a distilled version of what we liked about the first one. Yeah, and it kind of gives you a bad feeling right off the bat when you... Uh, and I feel like Town was trying to do, like, a, you know, a little twist on how the original film opened. Uh, the first shot of the original Chinatown is um, a shot of a black-and-white photo of a man and a woman, like, engaged in an affair. And... Um, mm-hmm then you see like the husband's reaction to it. And then it's like, okay, like pull out. And then we, um, get the broader yeah, picture. You can't eat the curtains. <laughs> uh, you pull out and you get like a broader picture. Like, you know, okay, this is what, um, who are these characters? Oh, this is a private eye. Like, this is what he does. He like, uh, he, you know, breaks up marriages for a living. You know, he yeah. follows, he follows people who are cheating on their spouses, blah, blah, blah. And then we go from there. And then in the two Jakes, um, you get like a... <clears throat> First off, you get a minute of looking at a shoe. Well, before that, um, you get right. a kind of a, a, a out-of-focus uh, image that you realize is, uh, again, a couple in a passionate it's more embrace. infidelity, yeah. And it's like, okay. And then, you know, there's like a... I forget how they do the effect, but there's like a, a pull-out or a dissolve or something where it's like, okay, and then there's the camera focused on the couple. Okay, this is calling back. Did you remember Chinatown? Yes, I remember Chinatown. I remember what fucking happened in Chinatown. I just watched it. Um, and then Town tries to do a little twist on it where um, it isn't just a simple case of a man finding out that his wife has been unfaithful. He already knows she's been unfaithful, and they're going to pull some kind of a sting and you hear Harvey Keitel's voice saying, oh, no, Kitty, how could you with him? You know, and it's at first you're like, wow, yeah, they, they wrestled another dynamite performance out of Harvey Keitel. <laughs> you know, it's funny because at first you're like, wow, Harvey Keitel is terrible in this. But then you realize like, he's just like <laughs> saying bad dialogue that he's been fed. Yeah. But yeah, then there's the shoes. And it's like, what? The I feel f- like it's a joke on the audience. And those shoes are in the shot for a long ass time. <laughs> Three times longer Harvey than they need Keitel. to be, yes. And then you see later in the scene, hey, the two Jakes are wearing the same kind of shoes, which is like, why does it matter? I don't know. And by the end of the movie, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. And then it's no. like, 
Okay, like you think the two Jakes, okay? Both these guys are named Jake. They're wearing the same shoes. Um, this mm -hmm. character, Berman, Harvey Keitel's character, he's up to something. Like, yeah, yeah, why yeah. is he so weirdly dispassionate about finding his wife fucking another man? Oh my god, he killed the guy. And then this idiotic plot proceeds from there. But what do you get at the end of the movie from the mirroring of the two Jakes? Like, what is the point of that imagery? I, I'm tired just thinking about it. <laughs> because... The, the lighter with the letter R on it. Well, and that was another thing which bothered me. Because we see uh, we see it under the desk where it's spilled out of uh, uh, Lillian, Madeline Stowe's purse. But when did we see Giddies looking at that lighter? Because he mentions it later. He's like, oh yeah, the R on Lillian's lighter. And it's like, what? What? When did he look at it? It was like lying on the floor. It yeah, it's such a bad script. Like, is this some um, Sherlock Holmes shit where he's like, "Oh, ah, Watson, you see, but you do not observe." And you know, I see from the uh, splashes of clay on your pants cuff that you took a walk uh, down in Southwark or whatever. Whatever. Like, is it that? Because mm -hmm. we didn't fucking see it in the movie. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Tim. I don't mean to upset you. <laughs> no, it's like. Uh, I don't have any anything to to add to that other because trying to follow it, I'm like, I know it is folly to try to make sense of this plot, so I just gave up. Yeah, because because ultimately, like the plot isn't important because the plot is in service of reconnecting characters from the first movie. Right. It, like, not only do we get, and I know I keep bringing up Star Wars because you know when you think. Star Wars, you think fan service, but it's the same two assistants too working for for Jake now as as before. So you're like, hey, it's Greedo, he showed up again. It's a, not know? the same actors though, because one of them is Bruce Glover in the original, right. but I don't think he came back. Did he? Yeah, maybe he took a look at the script and was like, now I'm just gonna. I'm gonna go do do Supergirl. I'd rather appear in one of my, in one of my son's weird ass movies than this, right? But yeah, so he's got his two assistants still, and they've had they've had zero character development in the first one, but they're still around like you know beloved characters, and one of them in particular is there to again more more of town's bang up writing. One of them gets the line. Jake, you're not responsible for El Evelyn Mulray's death, and you're not responsible for Catherine Mulray's life. Oh, thanks. That he, makes he me feel so much better. Yeah, he, he busts in, like, the guy who replaced the psychologist from the room to, like, harangue Jake and, like, provide plot exposition. Oh, like, when, uh, and, and of course, you're referring to the one of the many famous bits in the room where, um, and they don't, t you know, it's not clear that they did this, but they switched actors partway through production. Right. So the guy haranguing yeah, him digression. is supposed to be the the first guy, but it's not. It's like you're like and you're like who is this? Like speaking to Johnny like they're obviously intimates and you know, you don't find out until you talk to people who are fans in the room that oh, well, it's cuz they recast like partway through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's just this character is there to provide exposition. And you're like, okay, like Was that um Why couldn't this Eli Wallach's character 
No, Eli Wallach was like that lawyer type. And I was glad to see Eli Wallach because, you know, of how great he is in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly and everything else. Well, he's awesome, but, but it's kind of a waste of Eli Wallach in this picture. I wasn't even clear. Oh, it's absolutely a waste of Eli Wallach. Because, and I might have, um, I may have taken a different approach than you did watching this movie. Because as you said, you, you know, your brain turned to mush and you kind of tuned out, which you know, I can't really blame you for. Because, like, trying to yep, pay attention yep. to this was a struggle. But I really... You know, because I want to provide you, the listener, with the best experience possible. I tried very earnestly to follow this movie and follow the plot and be like, okay, well, what is the story? And I feel like I I sort of get, like, the broad strokes of the story, but it's not a very good story. And there are, there's a lot of information which was not, like, properly conveyed. I don't know what Eli Wallach's character is, like... And, you know, they bring back um, Escobar, um, a policeman from the first movie, who's, you know, yeah. now a police captain. And it's, and what does he do? Nothing. It's like, oh, he's a police captain that knows. Gittis. He is Escobar. Yeah. It's like, okay. Yeah. There's, it's because there's so many scenes that only exist to remind you of characters from the first movie that you're watching them and like, what's going on? Like, what am I supposed to get out of the scene? What do the characters want out of this scene? And a lot of the time, you're like, uh, I don't know. Like, it's yeah. just, uh, this is a chance to, to see Escobar again and be reminded who Escobar is. Well, if it's a male character, they're going to, like, grudgingly admire Giddes. And if it's a female <laughs> right. character, she's going to want to fuck him. Yeah. I, I mean, as uh, everything's right in the world. Right. And of course... It's, it's just like, you know, the protagonist in SFW. Right. And then, you know, of course, at the by the end of the movie, um, Catherine Mulray is trying to seduce him in his office, which, thank God, he, you know, pulls away from her. He's like, oh, you know, this isn't right. But it's like, why? Like, fucking why? <laughs> don't even know because she's met one man apparently because well i guess she goes for like older guys because she was married to harvey Keitel, and she's like oh whatever i might as well fuck another old dude sure yeah and, well you know you know where she gets that and um you will like and let's t let's compare and contrast like uh the you know the fem the, the main female character of chinatown with the female characters and the two jakes because um evelyn mulray um is played by Faye Dunaway. Incredible performance from Faye Dunaway. I understand that that Ms. Dunaway is a very difficult person in real life. Um, I, but she's very good in this, and uh, she did throw a cup of piss in Polanski's face on the set. So I'm gonna go Team Faye on this yeah, one. Yeah. So yeah, one point for her. Yeah. Um, she's really good in it, and the character of Ellen, Evelyn Mulray again is like such a one of the great like noir femme fatales because she's so so seductive but so tragic and she feels like a person with a story like uh she's you know i was just thinking um after watching chinatown like i was thinking about her promisc promiscuity in the movie you know like she, i have affairs you know i don't tell my husband you know every time i go to bed with a guy but you know she has a feel of a a woman who's been profoundly hurt by trauma and you know is she's promiscuous because she's you know she's fucking right by her father when she was 15 you know 
Like, yeah, that'll mess you up. It's not like, oh, you know, look at this slut. It's like, it's like, oh my God, like this woman has an incredibly like sad past and you don't sit there in judgment of her. You're like, you, you know, she's very, and you know, especially like, you know, it's played by Faye Dunaway, you know, at first she's like, she's very like controlled, very cold, very suspicious of Giddy's naturally. Why wouldn't she be? But when you see her later in the movie where she's like kind of reaching out to him and like starting to trust him and, you know, it hurts you as much as it hurts her when he's brusque with her. And like, you know, just seeing the relationship between these two characters is like this push and pull is like really captivating. Um, Meg Tilly, who we barely mentioned, and I'm a very big fan of Meg Tilly, but this is a pretty thankless role for her. Um, they are quite a pair. First of all, she's like her and her sister. I've... <laughs> um, she's very good in Psycho too. Um, but from the beginning, um, you see, you don't even get like glimpses of. Catherine Mulray, Meg Tilly, like, she's very covered up. Like, when you first see her, she's, um, when she... It's such and such. It's like, oh, we haven't been introduced. It's like, yeah, that's deliberate. Yeah, like, she, um, when you first see her, she's in full, like, you know, kind of like, um, 40s get-up, um, sunglasses, big old hat. You can't see much of her face. You see her again at, um, what I think is, uh, I want to say that's the Max Factor building, on Highland. I'm in Hollywood. I might be wrong, but you know, she's getting, she's at the spa and she's wearing a, Oh, that's Bullock's Wilshire. What a, what a great waste of a great location. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No. Um, thank you for correcting me. So I didn't have to go back in the show notes. And say Jen was wrong when she said that it was the max factor building. It's actually Bullock's Wilshire. Um, yeah. Thank you, Tim. Um, when you see her again, she's like in a mud mask and it's like, why are they, concealing Meg Tilly so much and that's when you're like and I'd figured it out before then I was like okay well she's Catherine Mulray and I don't know I guess like her appearance would have been it would have been too easy to put two and two together because I will say that in a later scene where um she's just very plainly dressed for gardening again under a big old hat and um Giddies comes to show her some evidence which proves that uh he knows that her husband uh, definitely meant to murder that guy, and it was premeditated. Um, when you catch a glimpse of her face, there's this w- striking resemblance to Faye Dunaway. It's weird. I mean, they're not related, but it's good casting mm. because it's like, oh my god, like she, you know, she could be uh, Evelyn Mulray's daughter. So maybe that was the decision to kind of like keep her covered up. But it feels weird. Like, everything in this movie just feels, like, cartoonish and weird and wrong. Yeah, and I didn't catch on to her being Catherine Mulray because I refused to accept the confluence of coincidences that would lead to that conclusion. Well, you know, it's it's L.A. It's a small town. Everybody knows everybody. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> the, the daughter of the wife of the uh, water um, magnate of course, is involved in the real estate scam undermined by the oil man that we meet two-thirds of the way through the movie. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, to compare it to the way that the the story of Los Angeles and its essentially stolen like, water 
is told, it's so like mysterious and elegant. And then like, as the pieces fall into place, you're like, oh my God. And then it like, just that there can't be like two different groups of corrupt people (laughs) in LA. And I feel like this is something which, um, you know, which town attempted and couldn't pull off and that, um, James Elroy has done like very well is kind of having a, um, Jesus Christ. I hate to say a Los Angeles, like expanded universe, but (laughs) you know, we have to use it like (laughs) those terms. Well past that point. Yeah. Um, you know, because in James Elroy's novels, he does have recurring characters, you know, that pop up from book to book. He, he uses like real people, um, as characters in his novels and he pulls it off. Um, I mean, you know, I'll leave it to avid book readers to explain why he did it where town couldn't. I mean, we're talking about extremely different mediums here. Mm. I mean, town only had like seven or eight years (laughs) to fix the script. So, well, I think that he spent a lot of that time, um, being embroiled in a bitter, custody battle with his wife at the time and then um frolicking with athletic young women in preparation for personal best again it's all in easy riders raging bulls um and the first part was preparation for giddies versus giddies right um and Mm. i think which brings to mind like another tidbit which i just remembered about um the making of the two jakes um another problem that they had when they initially tried to go into production like, I think it was on their second try, was that only 80% of the screenplay was written. And Town was like, I am going on vacation, but I'm going to finish that other 20%. Well, guess what happened? Yeah, I've told that lie before. Right. It, it did not happen. So I don't know if other people had to come in and, like, kind of patch it together. Like, who knows who else, like, maybe... I think Nicholson actually took a crack at it himself, Um, because there are stories about him, like, you know, working all day in the set and then going home and then spending like a few more hours, like trying to get the script to hang together. So I don't think he was sleeping much either. Yeah. That is crash coding. And more often than not, that does not work. Right. It's like, it is not a way to complete a project in a satisfactory way. So, you know, you, you, you end up, yeah, you end up seeing the seams. So you know, maybe that explains the two Jakes. It's just, it just wasn't meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> and yet they did it anyway. Yeah. And Paramount, uh, I think, I think Paramount, uh, ended up releasing it and taking a bath on it because it did not recoup its cost. Um, some people apparently liked it at the time, among them Roger Ebert. Um, I mean, he's been wrong before. Roger, so. Yeah. Yeah, there, there are interesting ideas in it, poorly portrayed. I mean, right. The the things that that I like about it are, um, you know, they they do mention the line, um, the big thief, the big thief stealing from the little thief, right. And I like that there are different, um, yeah, there there are different crime spheres. There are different like orders of magnitude to crime that intersect in these movies and that i think is interesting you know you have you know like these 
in crimes of passion you have you know mm-hmm. s- you know small small crimes you have you know like this this low petty kind of crime then you have like this methodical calculating sort of high crime mm-hmm. going on and the two tend to be interwoven and you know giddies as a private investigator is usually investigating the former undercover you know uncovering the latter right that intersection i find interesting it's just it's too bad that this movie sucks yeah and it's it's that feeling of like turning over the rock and seeing the big and little bugs that scurry out right yeah or you know finding an an ear on someone's lawn right (laughs) seeing where that thread takes you (laughs) god right it's uh yeah and it works in Chinatown, like, in this, not so much. And I think the oil and gas thing, like, it could have been interesting. But again, like, and I keep hammering on the word cartoonish, but it's so dumb and unsubtle. It's do this, we need to, yeah, it's, do we need to have another Chinatown movie centered around, like, your resource, uh, you know, like, city services, basically? Right. And then the way, like, I feel like the, the, the recurring earth one's going to be about a railroad. I don't know. The recurring earthquakes in the movie are kind of telling because it's like they're it's it's really unsubtle, like interrupting a scene with an earthquake, <laughs> as, as subtle as an earthquake. Yeah, yes. or like um, th- there's a yet another laughable scene where um, Giddy goes out to the housing development, which apparently is just venting fucking gas all over the place, and you know yeah they have what's his name that beady eyed character actor in that small role. And it doesn't help that, like, a couple of actors in this look really similar to each other. Okay. Like, I was like, wait, is that that one guy or is that Ruben Blades? Who I didn't even recognize at first. And I looked, I was like, who's that actor playing the gang? But I'll I'll get to him. Um, like I was yeah. going to say, there's the bit and at the housing development where uh, Giddy's lights a cigarette and gets blown up. Yeah, right in front of a sign that says, do not enter. And I'm like, why the fuck isn't he dead or like covered with third degree burns? Like, what am I missing? Uh, is that is that a thing that can happen that, you know, it's like um, the oh God, I don't remember where I'm getting this reference, but uh, I remember a maybe it was a friend of mine who said that in like certain bad action movies, like the purpose of explosions is not to like kill people or maim them, but to merely move them around. <laughs> so it's like, you know, there okay. an explosion happens and it just kind of like blows the protagonist like into the air like 30 or 50 feet and oh, but he's fine. Like same thing here. Like he was sitting right. on like some kind of natural gas vent which he ignited. Which and then it moved him around. Right. Yeah. Which by the way, Harvey Keitel's character does at the end of the movie and he is apparently Speaking of dumb action tropes. Yeah, and he is apparently like so completely obliterated that the cops are like so what's there to investigate? Like if everything burned up, who cares? Case closed. Yeah, yeah, your your slow burn, no pun intended, <laughs> neo-noir thriller ends with a house exploding. Right. Sure. And then, why not? And then, like his um, and I'm gonna go back to the the Ruben Blades character. Um, that guy comes across that character. You know, he first he shows up in Giddis's office, and you know, kind of like he has his big friend, like, um, you know, rough Jake up a little. And you're like, oh wow, yeah, this. I don't know who the hell that guy is. Well, yeah, because you're like at first, like, oh, this guy's obviously like some like important gangster. Like, I don't know why he's coming out with his thugs to do this, like 
you know, dirty work, but okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like he's, he seems like a Dutch Schultz type, but no, he's apparently like some kind of a lackey to, to Berman, Harvey Keitel's character. Cause he's lurking around the housing development near the end. It's like, what, like, who is this person? Is he like a two bit thug or is he like a shot caller? The movie never explains it. This is yet another thing that could have just been cut the fuck out of this movie. It's a very dumb movie. It's, uh, like, like a third of it. Like you can get like the oil and gas subplot thing. Look, I mean, ultimately it is just like, it is Meg Tilly trying to get the housing development out from under her husband by having him kill his partner. Right. I think. Which I think we're but, we're supposed to be like really thrilled about that, that she is instantly a wealthy woman. That she's right. basically, I mean, she, wait a minute, because, and this is why, okay, and this is why the themes of this movie are so fucked compared to Chinatown. Because yeah. in Chinatown, you had that bleakness of like Noah Cross, you know, Emperor Palpatine. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. You know, <laughs> A man who is so rich that... He doesn't yeah, even know how much money he has Yeah, anymore. and just with one sweep of his arm, you know, if... You know, forget it. Like, forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Like, I, I not only will I remove this thorn in my side, you know, the daughter that I raped, mm-hmm. I will then take our daughter. I will take her completely away, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. Like... Just that powerful despair of, at the end where it's just like, oh, there are forces in this world that we are powerless to contend with. Yeah, yeah, just there are orders of magnitude out outside of your reach. Yeah, and that's what leaves you sitting... <laughs> I wish there was some sort of pop culture phrase you could use to sum that up. <laughs> and I don't know. That's Forget what... it, it's the two Jakes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, if you think you know what's going on, you don't. Oh, that's oh, that is dynamite. Let me write that down. That is natural gas. Let me write that. Actually, no, I have a better line from the movie. Um, one which was yeah. so great that I wrote down. Um, like when a father bangs his daughter, like dogs and squid. Oh, uh, like tears and rain. Am I right? <laughs> I've seen things. <laughs> I've seen crazy shit. Like man. dogs fucking. Um, like dogs so <laughs> but the point all those moments will be lost like the point I'm getting at is that like okay like that is what that is the thing about Chinatown which leaves you sitting there devastated on your living room couch at one in the morning having finished the film you're like yeah. fuck that is so perfectly bleak and so truthful but in Two Jakes we're like okay so Catherine Mulray gets to be an incredibly wealthy oil and gas heiress much... Isn't she already wealthy? If she's her father's daughter. Right. And it's like, so she's just going to end up like a Lady Noah Cross? Okay. I mean, it's like, it, so that's that's the good ending. And then like the, 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 no, the that noblest of professions, the real estate developer, <laughs> like sacrifices himself so that his young wife may mm-hmm. go forth and continue to exploit resources which should be for the people of los angeles like thank god right yes thank god she retains the development's mineral rights i bet you didn't see that coming you know gentle viewer (laughs) you know like thank god that jake is so principled that he committed uh he committed perjury to make this happen he tampered with evidence yeah that's right and committed perjury so that he could make this woman even more wealthy well at least he won't extort anyone (laughs) 
<laughs> and also he made Why? David Keith piss himself. David Keith, his character could have been written out of this movie. You don't need that fucking character. Like, no... Yeah, because we haven't seen him... For, like, we are introduced to him, then we don't see him for, like, an hour. Yeah, and the way he's set up, you're like, oh, this is gonna be... This is gonna be an antagonist that figures in the plot. No. Like, he's a dick, and then he gets humiliated. Yeah. We do not need his character in it. Like, and if you need some kind of connection to the police, like, we already have, you know, his old buddy from before. Like, make him do something. Yeah, you already have Eli Wallach. And again, no shade to David Keith. Not to be confused with Keith David. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I get them confused all the time. Oh, they should have put Rowdy Rowdy Piper in this movie. Or even normal Rowdy Piper. That would have livened things up. <laughs> um, oh, what the fuck? Hang on one second. Oh, and also Harvey Keitel's character has cancer. Why is that important? Bro, it's so sad. I mean, it's so sad, bro. Uh, God, it's stupid movie. This like, I feel story. like there was supposed to it. be... Okay, like... um. If you take the grain of that idea, you could, because I feel like they were trying to imply that, you know, because, like, he's building this, he's building this fucking housing development, or trying to, like, on a, 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 a tract of land which is beset by, like, poisonous gases from the earth. And I think they're trying to imply that it's, like, it's making him, it's making him sick, Mm -hmm. which, okay, like, that could definitely lead to an interesting theme about um you know like uh the way we humans like exploit natural resources like to our own detriment for like material gain but i don't feel like that's a threat like that's me like that writing is way out of place that's me writing <laughs> that, more that fan kind of fiction movie. right yeah i mean hell at this point takes all comers it's like the people who think like the prequel the star wars prequels are really good but it's because they've written all this like he- fanfic in their head about like oh you know anakin was d- doing this and motivated because of this and you know blah blah he and obi-wan this yeah, that, trying and to the like other. retcon the dumb political like maneuvering in the background of it to be like oh it's actually you know it's a commentary on the iraq war it's like <laughs> No, it's a dumb movie, and you're filling in all the gaps. Well, like, maybe maybe it is a commentary on the Iraq War and Bush's America. Well, guess what? It's you a know, for kids. It's a stupid fucking commentary on those right. things. It's there is stupid. Like, it is what? not a good lacerating or skewering of, of post-9-11 America. I'm sorry. Yeah, it is. Uh, we've undone all the success of the previous trilogy just because we needed to make more movies. Like, that's... <sighs> That's about the extent of it. It's like when, like, I've heard, I've seen, like, a couple of people online say, like, no, actually, like, M. Night Shyamalan is a brilliant director. He absolutely knows what he's doing. Like, everything that's bad in his movies is a deliberate choice. <laughs> well, then he's a, he's brilliant be- for making terrible choices. Yeah. Like, I'm who like, else can be wrong that consistently? I'm like, damn, I want to live on your planet because it seems like a wild place. Yeah. Not only does, um, so we've already established that there's no reason for um for meg tilly to be Catherine mulray but then on top of that why is it important that she hides that she's Catherine mulray that's a really good question i mean there's the expectation too like you know, there is an off chance that only if they go to jake giddy's in the first place why uh would he even remember or recognize her like Say, you know, there's someone who you knew when they were a teenager, and then you see them a decade later. Right. If you aren't introduced to them, 
you probably aren't going to recognize them because they've become an adult in that time. Right, and I guess... It's not necessary on two levels. Yeah, and then um, everyone is so wrapped up with, like, oh, protect, you know, protect Catherine, protect Catherine. Like, I don't know what, like... She's a conniving adult at this point. She doesn't need protecting. I mean, I'm not sure, because I guess, like, oh, like, we don't want it exposed that, you know, who her father actually is, but wouldn't people just assume that it was Hollis Mulray, not Noah Cross? Yeah, I mean, I don't... I don't have like a poster of the genealogy of movers and shakers in la county yeah like um, it doesn't matter to me i I couldn't even tell you who our mayor is again it's it's because the audience is supposed to care about it but why would any of the characters yeah i don't um i don't get it it's just it's a big mess don't watch this movie like we took (laughs) we um we took one from the team and watched it for you like you yeah i mean if if you had to watch like one um, one neo-noir movie from the 90s, I would suggest you watch Mad Dog Time. <laughs> <laughs> between the two of these, between the two Jakes and Mad Dog Time, hands down, there's a clear winner here. Hey, just ask Chapo Travhouse's Matt Chrisman. Right. I wonder if he's seen this one. Oh, I hope for his sake he didn't. <laughs> yeah, for real. Got Harvey Keitel's awful crying in this. Oh, God. It is kind of funny. It does. It makes you want to put on um, Bad Lieutenant instead. Even a mediocre lieutenant. I would watch that. <laughs> the just okay lieutenant. <laughs> Unremarkable lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> mediocre lieutenant. Oh, it's about a mediocre white man. Mm. <laughs> uh, to my mind, this is the, the worst movie that we've watched for this podcast. Wow. You know, I didn't even talk about the... Uh, God, like, the directing is so bad in this, too. Well, lay it on me. Well, it... Tell me more about what's bad about it. Okay, like, with the friend of the show, Darren Herzig, we've talked about... I think we've talked about Zooms and how much we like Zooms and how it's sort of sad that... Yeah, you don't see them so much anymore. Yeah, it's not really a directorial tool that you see anymore. Maybe because it calls attention to itself too much, but who knows... There are zooms in this well, movie, but they just, they kind of make you go like... tough to do unobtrusively. Yeah, and the way they're used in this movie, they kind of make you go like, oh, maybe this is why people don't do zooms anymore. Because this just looks like <laughs> dog shit. Like, it's... Like, let's just, yeah. Okay, let's like, for not. example, okay, like, the first, the scene where, um, where we first are introduced to David Keith's character, and I can't remember if he's talking, if... Giddies comes into the police station to talk to Escobar, or if it's Eli Wallach's character, it doesn't matter. But doesn't matter. That scene is just like so, like it feels so weird and smushed because there are all these like weird, very I don't want to say like extreme close-ups, but like it's not like and not in a good way. It isn't like you feel like there's a lot going on. You just aren't sure what's going on. Yeah, and like maybe I'm not like. um Maybe I'm not smart or artistic enough to like talk about why the way these scenes are directed or bothered me, but it really stands out in the 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 uh, police station scene, as I mentioned. It really, really gets on your nerves in the fucking courtroom scene at the end, where it isn't just mm-hmm. like close up after close up after close up. Then there are like these push ins, which just look fucking awful. They are so tacky. As if, like... Give me the courtroom scene in Eureka instead. Claude! (laughs) Like, three-page monologue. Um, 
Yeah, like it, 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 I, and I can't even articulate why, like, it just, it's, but you know, it's because it feels like busy and fussy and there's no, like, um, it's like, you know what it's like? It's like somebody jamming on the same note on a piano keyboard over and over and over again. It's like close up, close up, close up, close up, close up. And it's not like the actors are giving you anything like that fucking interesting. Yeah, that is a problem too. If they were close up, you know, if it was, you know, just a, a static shot of, um, you know, Guy Pierce listening to someone say Rolla Tomasi. Shit, that was the that was the scene which popped into my head because I wanted to be like, okay, yeah. you know the scene where Dudley Smith that is how he do it. says Rolo Tomasi to Ed Exley, and like Guy Pierce in that scene, your boyfriend Guy Pierce. Um, oh, he's he's um, such an amazing actor and a beautiful man and lover. I'm sure. Yes. Yes. Um, delightful man. <laughs> um, I don't know how to describe it. The the acting, which is so just like, I mean, he's doing a poker face, but you see the mm-hmm. wheels turning in his head where he's like, oh, yeah. fuck. That's <laughs> good. It's like, don't react, don't react. Yeah. That's incredible. You just gave the whole thing away, don't react. Yeah. And, um, you know, in this, it's like you get, and you feel like Nicholson would like know better, but... I don't know. Like it's just like these all these Well there's there's nothing in the story to justify that either. I don't even know how the Catherine Mulray secret identity was revealed because I wasn't fucking paying attention. He figures it out and this is another clunker in the movie is when he um I think he asks her to his house and they're going to talk about I don't know. It's like, "Oh, I know your husband like meant to kill like pre-plan that killing of that guy and I know why." I guess. But um, mm-hmm. he figures it out when he sees the necklace she's wearing, which is like kind of like a big piece of costume jewelry, and it's uh, oh, yeah. it resembles the um, which I think uh, it resembles what I think was a dyed Matilda poppy in the earlier scene where he was talking to Khan, because I've seen those flowers before, and oh, they're right, just like stupid motif. Yeah, like they're those those kinds of flowers, which are. Um, you know, very common is ornamental plants were in my area. Like they're just, they're, they're also called like, you know, jokingly. Asian Jen, we don't call them oriental anymore. <sighs> that is not the preferred nomenclature, dude. <laughs> they're called fried egg plants or flowers because it's just like a, a yellow and white bud. It's like a, mm-hmm. a yellow center with white petals. But for, but in the movie they dyed them like, they gave them little lavender edges and then they say this bullshit, which I don't know if it's true. It's like, oh yeah, like you can change the colors of the plants if you scorch the seeds, which is like, okay, whatever. Something that Robert Town read about and put in the screenplay. And then uh, Gideas makes the connection when he sees uh, Catherine's necklace and she starts explaining the significance of the necklace. And he's like, oh fuck, you're, you're Evelyn's daughter. But this scene is so leaden and it just drags on and i'm like is this supposed to be like a powerful moment because it's just like okay can you two get on with it like i figured this out an hour ago you're just playing catch-up dude and it's not those it's not the kind of movie where you're like oh no this tragic hero like he thinks he has it all figured out but he didn't make this one connection it's just like god just okay we yeah, know. What are the stakes of him knowing or not knowing? Yeah, like we still, and like, you know, what does it change? We haven't figured mm-hmm. out like what is so fucking important about like why you know apparently like nobody wanted Gaze to know where Catherine Mulray was. 
I don't know why. I don't know why the movie tells us that. I I don't they, know why that was important in the movie. It is as important that they not be together as it was in, God, I'm mentioning it twice, SFW. Right, where it's like... Like, oh, yeah, we can't have these two people get together for reasons that aren't worth going into. But in, in the way it's so desultory in that movie where it's just like, oh, like, um, oh, Cliff, like, I don't I don't think you should come over. I don't think it's good for you and Winnie to be together right now. And then, you know, just, oh, wait, they ran into each other somewhere. It's like, oh, wow, these tragic star-crossed <laughs> lovers. I, yeah, what does it matter whether Jake Giddies meets the daughter of a client of his? I, I mean, you know, like, there is potential there where it's like, uh, you know, because they're connected by this tragic history, they don't use it in this movie to any good effect. <laughs> I guess that's true. That's the part I left out. Yeah, and it's... The part that, that Town left out. Yeah, like, I don't know what he was doing. And it's kind of <laughs> like how, um, you know, and then that whole revelation scene just being like, a, you know, like a damp squib. You know, like earlier in the movie when uh, Giddy's first comes... Not first, because, like, I guess Berman hired him. But when Giddies goes to the housing development, because he knows, like, something's going on, um, it's like, ooh, this... Not we think it is, although not that it matters. Yeah, and it's like, ooh, the two Jakes, like, are confronting each other. And you're like, this should be a potent scene. Like, all those scenes with uh, Nicholson and John Houston in Chinatown, there's just mm -hmm. this undertone of dread from like john houston's performance where you're like wow like i don't think this is a good guy i just have a bad feeling like and the scenes are so laden with foreboding and in this it's like you know it's like hey like why why'd you kill that guy like what was that about and then he's like hey are you accusing me of murder he's like yeah okay well see you later what <laughs> like what the fuck? <laughs> like a scene in a good movie, a scene where a guy comes to you and says, I know what you did and I know why you did it. And I got mm -hmm. my eye on you. Like I'm that should, investigator. That should be an oh shit moment in the screenplay where you're like, oh fuck, like what's going to come of this? But the way they do yeah, it, it's what's like, at, what's at stake? You know, it's like. It feels more like Jack Nicholson going to Harvey Keitel and saying, like, hey, man, like, you borrowed my golf clubs a couple of weeks ago and, like, you haven't given them back yet. Like, what happened? Oh, you'll get those golf clubs back. Okay, dude, see you later. I'm going to go light a cigarette next to this danger keep out sign. Ah, <laughs> uh, like, <laughs> this hasn't been a great analysis of this movie just because I'm so flummoxed by it. All I can just be is, like, it's dumb and it sucks. Yeah, like, I feel like... And you know, I understand why you had this reaction and why you kind of tuned out. I tried really hard. I, and you know, that, again, that, that emphasizes the, the good cop, bad cop dynamic that Tim and I have on this show. Um, Tim is an impatient man. Um, and I'm a, you know, I'm a nerd. I'm going to be like, well. You're an impatient woman or, you know, oil and water. <laughs> well, I'm like, you know what? I said, I said I would do this assignment. I'm going to put the most effort possible into doing my homework. But then no, you do your I mean, homework gave... and it's watching the two Jakes. <laughs> yeah. And and I mean, uh, don't slight me. I gave this movie all my attention. I gave it more attention than it deserved. And still, I cannot be arsed. Sure. Like, but but that's like... what I'm saying. Like, I'm not saying like, oh, Tim, like, you just fucking tuned out, didn't you? It's like, no, I understand why you had the reaction you did because 
like watching. Like, I know when a story isn't going. Watching somewhere. this movie is agony. Yeah, and especially it is so tedious. And the thing is, is I it, and I don't want to say poisoning the well, but like, um, it's you can't you can't separate this movie from Chinatown, and why would you? It wouldn't exist without Chinatown. And I wonder, like, you know, part of me is like, well, if this movie were just some kind of, like, standalone noir, what would it be like? And I'm like, you know what? I can't fucking tell you. Because, like, there's this giant black shadow looming over it called Chinatown. And in light of that movie, it's like, wow, this is a fucking joke. Like, really? Yeah, it's regardless of Chinatown, it is an unremarkable movie. Yeah. And And then to, to heap that on top of it, you're just like... I yeah. don't know, man. And, you know, to to wrap up, I will say, like, I logged this on Letterboxd, uh, gave it one and a half stars. I And the other thing I noticed... What's the half a star for? Madeline Stowe's unhinged performance? <laughs> well, honestly, it's the way that she was, uh, you know, struggling, like, in a knockdown, drag-out struggle with Giddy's assistant, or one of his assistants, and she still managed mm-hmm. to hold on to her cigarette. That, that's dedication. That's a very talented woman. We've already got one going, Mrs. Mulroy. I mean, we can debate. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a great little moment. That's so good. That tells nothing. You know, it tells you something about the character. It, it's like alluding to something, which is like not quite as it seems. Yeah, <sighs> but <laughs> nothing even approaching that in this movie. But like I was saying, um, you may disagree with me uh, on my rating, but I will say this. When I went on Letterboxd and I logged this movie, every time I log a movie that we cover for the show, uh, uh, some of my mutuals have watched it and rated it already. Mm-hmm. No one, none of my mutuals on Letterboxd have bothered to either watch or rate this film. What? <laughs> yeah, better... Better for them. It's a waste of time. Yeah, they're smarter than I am. But we already knew that. <laughs> well, that's you keep good company. That's the important thing. <laughs> uh, well, that's the two Jakes. I think we're done. I think that is enough Jakes for a lifetime. Yeah. You know, we didn't even talk about the time. Do you remember the time when Jack Nicholson, like, fucked up that guy's car with a golf club? No. Is this in the movie or... <laughs> <laughs> no, like in the '90s, he had like a an, a road rage incident where he like accused uh, he got out of his car and accused the other guy of cutting him off, and then like put speed holes in his trunk with a golf club. Uh, right. What you know? I guess. I guess um, so. Hey, you know, the Giddies is a golfer too. Uh, it's difficult to disentangle, you know, the actor from the role in this case because it just seems like it's jack nelson just kind of playing with playing himself yeah it's unfortunate because like um you know the the nicholson of the 70s was one of the best actors of his time Mm -hmm. and you know was left an incredible body of work from that era and you don't see the cartoon jack in chinatown i mean he is he has that he has the presence. He is Jack Nicholson. It's a Jack Nicholson performance, but he's Jake Giddies. But in this one, it's like, hey, like, what if you went to what if you went to Six Flags and you said, I don't want you to do like you went to the caricature booth and you're like, I don't want a caricature of me. Can you you I, you, I know you can draw him because like he's pretty easy to caricature. Can you draw, draw me a caricature of Jack Nicholson? 
And then you, he drew, the caricaturist drew like old, fat, bloated, sweaty, mouth-breathing 1990 Jack Nicholson. Peak form. Yeah. God bless him. All right, so, okay, you suggest a movie next time. How about that? Hello, this is Hitler.